Uh, thank you, Brother Sean, for that. And I appreciate the opportunities that I have to do this. It's always great and fun to come and share a message to you that God has laid on my heart. And so with that said, if you would please turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. That's the text we're going to look in today. And as we're looking, as you're turning there, um, there's a story I wanted to share with you, a true story that came out of, um, what is it called, let me get this right, Saltillo Prison in Mexico, northern Mexico. This was November 1975. And what happened there was, the story is, is that there are 75 men that were prisoners there, and they decided they wanted to get out. They, they wanted to stage a, uh, a prison break. And so what did they do? They started digging. They started digging a tunnel, and their, their idea, their plan was to dig this tunnel that would go all the way to, to the outside walls, past the outside walls, and then they could go into their freedom. And so it took them months, several months to do this. And so April of 1976, they finally reached their destination, and so they started digging up to the surface. But whenever they got to the surface and they dug up, they realized that they had dug themselves right into the same courtroom that many of them had been sentenced. It's a true story. And, then, and so the surprised judges looked at them, at these 75 men that were trying to uh, tunnel out of, out of the prison, and he sent them right back into prison. And so that story goes, I mean, it's just perfectly with this message today because today Paul gives us a great contrast between the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God. And so you can say that the wisdom of the world, following the wisdom of the world, is a lot like what those prisoners were doing that day. We love to listen to the voices of the, of the world, but all that's doing is we're trying to dig out of this prison into the, into the freedom, into some kind of purpose in our life. We're trying to dig out. But all we find, we can do all the work, we can dig as far as we can, but all we find is we're always going to be back right where we started. That's the wisdom of the world. And so with the wisdom of the world versus the wisdom of God. And we know this, right? We know that the wisdom of God, that we should follow that. And that, that's what we should, that should be our reality. That's what we should follow. But for some reason, we still allow these voices to come in. We still attract ourselves to this. Somehow, we're trying to mix them together and figure out how it's all going to work. And we give them a voice. But what does Paul say here in verse 25? That's where I want to start. It says, The foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. And so this is so true. I mean, the God, whenever you think about it, the God who created the universe, the God who set all the planets in motion, he's the one that kick-started kick the generator of the sun. I mean, he, he created everything. He told the stars where to go. He's the one that, that stops the oceans, tells them where they need to stop. He's the one that knows every single detail of our lives to the very cells that are in our bodies. There is nothing that our, any of the cells that our bodies do that he doesn't know and he doesn't have authority of where they go or how they grow. That is our God, the God of the universe. And so you would think that we would understand that, that we would understand that how God big is and the fact that God may just be a little bit more intelligent than we are. Right? He just may know a few more things than we do. And he might be just a little bit wiser than we are and intelligent. And this verse is trying to explain to us that we can't even come close. We're not even in the same league when it comes to the eternal characteristics of our God. 
that the most complicated algebraic equation that we, our minds, could ever come up with is elementary to the God who created our neurological system in the first place. That we can't even come close to Him and what He knows and His wisdom. And we know from 1 Samuel 16, 7, the Lord does not see as man sees. We don't, we're not seeing differently. The world and, and man and, the, and the, the ways of the world and the ways of God are completely different. How he governs our world is completely different. His economy is different than ours. What he values is different than what we, uh, the world values. He is totally different in every possible way. In, first, in Psalm 139, 17 through 18, David says, he says, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast the sum of them are. If I were to try to count them, they would outnumber the grains of the sands on the seashore. How vast are your thoughts. How precious are they to me. And so that brings us to this, the city of Corinth here. If you know anything about Corinth, you know of, of the, the community that they were in was not a good community. It was very perverse uh, culture that they were in, but they had this young, growing church, dynamic church that Paul had started there in Corinth. He had stayed there for about 18 months, and then he leaves and he goes to Ephesus. He stays there for about three years, but while he's in Ephesus, he gets word from someone in Corinth, comes to him and says, hey, Paul, they're in trouble. It's, it's chaos. The, the, the Corinthian church is in trouble. They're, they have all of these different problems that are going on, and so you need to address them. So here we go with 1 Corinthians, the letter to the, to the church at Corinth. And what he does here in this letter is he lays out, he, he addresses all of their issues from, from the first chapter to the last chapter. Issue after issue after issue, he lays it out for them. And the first issue that they have here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 is these divisions and these factions that were happening within the church. And so you have this land of Corinth, the land of the intellects, the, the land with over 50 different philosophies of life, everyone with their experts and their philosophers. And so you have the, the, this, this land of the intellect that they thought that they were wise, and all of these baby Christians are coming into the church, and they're trying to form this, this church. And these people were so enamored by these philosophers and the, how attractive that they were, how, much, how wealthy that they were, all the good things that they were saying, how eloquent that they were with their speech. And so they would attach themselves to these philosophers and, 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 and walk with them and learn from them, and, and I follow so-and-so, I follow so-and-so. And so what they were doing to us, they were bringing that culture, that mindset into the church with them. And so you started seeing all these divisions and factions that were happening. Well, I'm the follower of Apollos, and I'm the follower of Paul, and I'm the follower of Cephas, and I'm the follower of Christ. And so they started dividing and arguing against each other on all these things. And Paul comes to them and says, no, you're getting it all wrong you're, you're looking at the way the world looks at things, and you're bringing that into the church. Let's step back and see what's actually going on here. You're not seeing the things that God sees. The world is completely opposed to God. Why are you listening to them? Why are you bringing that into the church? And then that leads us here to verse 18. He wants to teach these Corinthians a lesson on the power of God's wisdom versus the, the, the foolishness of the world's wisdom, and he teaches that to us here as well. So in verse 18, you see he begins here, he says, 
For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the very power of God. So it's important that you understand what, what Paul is saying here. He says the word of the cross is folly, is foolishness. Literally, it means a moron, moronic. The, the word of the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing. And, and whenever he says the word of the cross, the Greek for that, the word, is logos. And so you have to kind of expand what, you, what your thoughts here because it's a little bit broader than what you're probably imagining. This the word of the cross. It's not just the act of Jesus just hanging there on the cross. This, is, this word, logos, is where we get our word logic from. And so what he's saying is, is that the, the logic of the cross, the, the, the meaning, the purpose behind the whole cross. And so he's looking at the entire redemptive story here. That, that's what he's, he's trying to, to, to get us to focus on here. The entire redemptive, the entire Jesus story of Scripture from Genesis 1 all the way to the end of Revelation. That, that is what he has in mind here. And he's, 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 setting, uh, he's stepping back and he's looking at the entire story. And so you have to understand that it is the power of the cross from, from Genesis 1 all the way to the cross, the climax of everything. Jesus Christ, him crucified and raised again, and then everything after that is the wisdom of God. That, that's what he's trying to express to these people. And not only is it the wisdom of God, but the cross defines our very reality. You need to understand that because that's going to move us through this text here. It is the cross that defines our reality. It is the cross that is the center of the universe. Jesus Christ, him crucified, him resurrected, that is what everything revolves around. Everything before that leads up to the cross. Everything past that looks back at the cross. The cross is the center of the universe. And so as distracted as these Corinthians were, with all these other voices trying to speak in their life, all these things that are being pulled in all these different directions, influenced, Paul is saying, wait a minute, you need to, you need to focus. You need to focus. You're losing it here. It's all about the cross, the power of God, and his wisdom, the word of the cross. And so this is the focus that he's trying to get them to understand. In fact, in verse, in verse 2 of chapter 2, Paul tells them, he even goes so far to say, yes, I've decided to know nothing but the cross, but Jesus Christ and him crucified. That is enough for me. It doesn't matter what so-and-so is saying. It doesn't matter what so the other person is saying. Stop listening to them. I have decided to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified, and that's it. And so it's this story that we've been reading about all year long, right? The redemptive story that leads us to Jesus Christ from Genesis 1-1 all the way to the end of Revelation. So from the very beginning in Genesis 1:26, God created man. He said, let us make man in our own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Wonderful intention of, of perfection, being with our God in, in perfect relationship, growing, glorifying him in everything that we do. But and then our ego and our pride comes into play. And because we decided to enthrone the great I and dethrone the great I am, we all sinned. 
For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Right? We all sinned. And death entered into the world. And Isaiah 59, 2 says, is that your iniquities, your sins, have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you where he can't hear you anymore. That we have been separated. That there's this great chasm now between us and God because of the sin that we brought into the world that caused death. And so now we can't get, there's no relationship with God. We are completely separated. We are completely lost. We are on our own. And this is especially bad news because there is no way that we can get across that great chasm on our own as long as we try to work, as hard as we try to work, to get over to the other side. We can't do it. All the number of ways that we do it with philosophy, morality, trying to be a good person, our education, all the laws, all the works that we try to do, it's meaningless, it's worthless. Uh, uh, Solomon tells us in Proverbs 14, 12, he says, There is a way that seems right to man. But in the end, it always leads to death. Always. There is a way that seems right to man, but in the end, it always leads to death. It's like those prisoners that are digging back to where they very started in the first place. You're not getting anywhere. It's worthless. You're dead. But I think the, the, the greatest phrase in all of human history is a little two-word phrase that says, but God. But God, as lost and as stranded as we were in our sins, Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrated his love that while we were sinners, Christ died for us in our place. Christ died for us in our place so that we can now have a relationship with God as ugly, as dirty as we were, standing there, complete lost, completely worthless as a slave to sin, shackled by sin, that there is nothing that we can do, that we can't offer anything, we can't do anything. He comes to us and he says, I want him. I want her. And Satan, the slave master, looks over at Jesus and says, are you sure? You know what it's going to be, pay, you know what the payment is for their eternal lives. But God demonstrated his great love for us that while we were enemies of God, Christ died in our place. The word of the cross. I want you to say something with me. John 3, 16. Can we say it together again? You know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. The word of the cross, the very wisdom of God, the very power of God. And to us who believe, Paul says, that the power of God changes everything. And through the work of the Spirit living within us, we now have access to the wisdom of God. We can now see in the world the way that God sees the world. He says, once you were blind, but now you can see. We have the wisdom of God. And so if you're a believer and you've experienced that great power in your life, you see fruits of that every single day in your life. But while we remember and while we know the, the power of the cross to us, we present this message to a world that is perishing. We see that it's just foolishness to them. <laughs> it just it doesn't work for them. It's, it's foolishness. 
He mentions to those who are perishing. We learned last week, Brother Sean taught us that, that the, these type words are called present middle participles. And, and he taught us kind of what that is. And, and basically this, this word perishing, it, it means, it's, it literally means unraveling that their, their lives. And that's the state of the lost. Their, their lives are continuously unraveling. It's present, which means it's happening right now. It's, it's not going to happen when, it, when they die. It's, it's their death. They're in death right now. It's happening. Their life is unraveling before them. And it's middle, which means that they're doing it to themselves. And so they're constantly doing this, this unraveling to themselves. There's nothing, no one else they can blame about it. They're doing it to themselves. And it's a continual thing. They're going continue to continually unravel into a meaningless existence until they either turn to Christ, repent and turn to him, or they, they reach their eternal destination, their eternal judgment. That, that's just the, the reality of the nature. Remember, the cross defines our reality, and that is the reality of their decision and, and, and their, their, uh, their state that they're in. And the really sad thing is here is that they can't see it. They don't see that they're, they're, they're lost and they're dying. They don't understand. It's foolishness to them. I want you to look at 2 Corinthians 4, 3 through 4. It's going to be on the screen here. I want you to look at that with me. It says this. It says, And even if the gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Same thing. It's veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The way the wisdom of the world sounds so good. Oh, man, it looks good. I mean, it would be immediate comfort probably. It would be immediate uh, resolution to your problem. Man, it looks so good. But it looks so good that it's, it's just blinded them. They, they can't see past that anymore. They can't see the state that they are in. It's, it's kind of like the, the uh, skydiving illustration. Maybe you've heard this before, but basically it's the realization that all of us are falling. <clears throat> all, all of us are falling from the sky to our deaths, right? So we, we know we're all perishing. Um, at some point, we're all perishing. But whenever Jesus died on the cross, 1 John 2, 2 says he is the propitiation of our sins, and not only for our sins, but for the entire world. So basically what that means is, is that we're all dying, but Jesus, whenever he died on the cross, he gave every single person a parachute. He gave everyone a parachute. And so we, everyone has a parachute in our entire world, over 7 billion whatever parachutes there are. They all have a parachute. But you can still die with a parachute on, right? You, you can still die, fall to your death, even with a parachute strapped to your back. And so, and so what Paul is pleading with, with all of these people here is, yes, you're, you're falling, but pull the cord. <laughs> pull the cord. Believe in Jesus, trust in Jesus, accept the free gift that he's given you. For the wages of sin is death. Yes, you're falling, but the gift of God, the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ your Lord. Just pull the cord, believe in him. But the problem is, is that they've been blinded to the fact that they're even falling in the first place. They, they don't even realize it. And what's so obvious to us, my goodness, you're falling, you're, you're going to die. Like it's, it's so obvious to us. It's not to them. They, they don't even realize that they're falling. I mean, it's, it's kind of foolishness to, to them. Do you think, they don't, I don't need this, 
this parachute, right? We could, I mean, the world, the world's wisdom is telling, oh, you'll be okay. <laughs> you're, you're going to be okay. Uh, we can figure the, a way out of this. There has to be another, another way. And that's the, the, the wisdom of the world. That's where the world stands today in this constant state of delusion. And so you look down at verse 22, and Paul explains <clears throat> what these people's hang-ups are here. He goes a little bit deeper into this. He breaks it down for us. He said, for the Jews demand signs, and the Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Jesus Christ crucified a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. So for the Jews, the, the word of the cross, to them, like it just didn't fit into their equation of, of how it was all supposed to work out. See, see their, their equation was uh, the law plus the food restrictions, plus the, the prophet's teachings, plus the, the Messiah coming at the end of the age to take them from their oppressions, plus the sacrifices, plus a thousand other things, equals a right relationship with God. So that's their equation. But the cross, what, I don't know what to do with this. It, it just doesn't fit into to the equation that, that we have. They, they stumbled over it. They didn't know what to do with it. It didn't work for them. It didn't fit. It wasn't convenient for them. Because the equation of the cross is Jesus Christ plus nothing equals everything. It is a right relationship with God all because of what Jesus did and nothing about what we have done. That is the equation of the cross. And that right there changes your life to where you live out this entire new life because of that equation. Jesus Christ plus nothing equals everything. And so that's the power of the cross here. And for the Jews, they just didn't understand it. And maybe you're here today, and it just, it's hard for you to wrap your mind around that. Even as believers, I think we can, man, if I could just add something in here, it would, it would at least make me feel better if I, if I could come to the point where I could do something to make me feel like I'm right with God. And, um, and so I'll just, I'll just do this over here. It, it makes me feel a little bit better about myself. And then Isaiah 64.6 tells them again, again, the reality of the situation, defining reality. It says, all of us have become like one who is unclean, and then all of our righteous acts are just like filthy rags before him. It's, <laughs> there's nothing. It's not, it's not really about what you're adding. It's about that you're adding anything at all, that Jesus Christ is enough. And so, the cross just didn't fit for them. It wasn't convenient for them. And as far as the Greeks, the Westerners, the hedonists, it says that they're seeking wisdom. And they're trying to logic out the cross. And when it boils down to it, they, they just, it's just foolishness. They, they just couldn't make sense of it for them. Uh, their view was the, the physical world, this material world that we're in, is, is all evil. And, and the spiritual world is good. And so to have a God that would come in physical form in the flesh and, and die on the cross. Like, they, they just could not wrap their minds around something like that. And then to put that on top of that, that he would actually atone for the sins of the world, that, he, that this one man that would die on the cross could, could uh, somehow make holy 
all these other people. Like, it, it was just hard for them to fathom this. The, the, the world's wisdom just wasn't matching up to theirs. They laughed at the cross. It, just, it was a, a cross. It was a, a religion of weakness is what they would say. And I like what John MacArthur said. He says, when man elevates his own wisdom, he automatically lowers God's wisdom and begins to look at God's wisdom as foolishness. And that's what we see in our world today. You turn on the news today. Just a for instance, okay? You turn on the news. You turn on um, a talk show host. What are they trying to do? Whenever you really think about the words that they're telling you, okay? They're commentators, okay? So they're, they're going to give you their commentary on the reality that they see. Through their own wisdom, they're going to say, hey, this is the reality that you need to look at. And they try to convince you that the way that they're seeing things is the way that you should see things here. That, that's, that's this influence. That's these voices that are coming into our mind. You have all these people. I don't care who they are. They're trying to define reality for you, trying to convince you their worldview their world is the right way. And Paul is pleading with these people, stop listening to them. They don't know why in the world are you listening to people that are perishing. It doesn't make sense. The world's way is completely opposite to God's way. Why are you listening to all these other voices whenever it's the cross? Focus back on the cross. He makes sense of the world. He's the one that can define your reality. Jesus Christ, him crucified and raised again. And then in verse 20, Paul asked, he even, he even kind of challenges him here. He says, where, where is the one who is wise? <laughs> Tell me. Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? So why in the world are you listening and being influenced by all these other voices for all these people that are perishing? It, it doesn't make sense. It's foolishness, he would say. And as believers, we now look at everything through the reality of the cross. The cross before us. That's how we see the life around us. And that it changes things. It, it means that we look at the world differently now than we ever have before. Before we ever came to Christ. We look at the world differently now. For instance, whenever you look at the world around you, um, instead, of, instead of seeing hundreds of nationalities and hundreds of cultures and hundreds of, of uh, races that, that are out there, you don't see that anymore. All you see is two different groups of people. You see those who are perishing and those who are being saved. Because really, that's all that matters, right? That is all that matters whenever it boils down to it in our worlds. Those that are being saved and those that are perishing. Let's talk about your purpose. Whenever you look at your purpose in your life, what is my purpose in my life? What am I supposed to do? The wisdom of the world is telling you something completely opposite than the wisdom of God. We know what the wisdom of God tells us. We are the light on the city and the hill. And we are to share this reality and this truth to a lost and dying world around us. That's our purpose right there, the wisdom of God. Our lives are totally different now because of the power of the cross. Our marriages are different. Our parenting looks different, right? The way that we see our job when, I go to, when we go to our work every single day, we see our job differently than we would if we were perishing. <laughs> The way we value money is just different than, than we would if we were perishing. The way we view our enemies is just different than we would if we were perishing. The way we view ourselves is different 
than it would if we were perishing. And I want you to keep that in mind right there as we look at verse 26. It says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you are wise according to the worldly standards, the worldly wisdom, the way the world sees it. Uh, Not many of you are powerful. Not many of you of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not to bring about the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Jesus Christ, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast only in the Lord. And so as believers... We experience the power of the cross that defines our reality, but we also see that it not only defines our reality, but it demands a response from us. He says, remember from where you were called. You, you were nothing. The, the Christians were on the, they're nothing. They, they were on the lowest rung of society. They had no influence, no power, no contacts, nothing. Even the ones that were wealthy before, whenever they become a believer, they had to give it all up. The community, everyone, the Romans would come and just take it all away anyways. So they had this church filled with people. He said, remember what, what you were like whenever you were called. You, you, had nothing, you had nothing to offer. But it just so happens that that is what God delights in. <laughs> That's what he specializes in. He loves to take ordinary, plain people and do extraordinary things through them. He finds great pleasure in doing this. So he says, hey, remember where you came from and remember the great work that happened in your life? You can't boast in that because that's what God did. You didn't, do any, you didn't have anything to do with that. You just boasted in the Lord. And so now looking over this congregation right here, I'm not speaking to people like the Corinthians. Um, you're, you're not, most of us, I would think, probably, or not on the lowest rung of society. Um, You have talents, you have gifts, you have influence, you have contacts, resources, all kinds of resources and things like that. And I wonder sometimes if that's, maybe that's why we're not seeing just some just powerful movements of God because we are gifted, we are talented, and and so we're, we're leveraging all those things for ourselves to prop up ourselves instead of leveraging them for, to prop up the kingdom of God. I just wonder what would happen if all of us in here just decided, okay, I, I, I'm seeing everything in light of the power of the cross now. That defines my reality, and I realize that that all of this is just nothing because the, the world's wisdom, the wisdom of the world would just tell you, hey, just keep it. Just keep it for yourself. Keep propping yourself up, putting, positioning yourself so you can continue to elevate in your life. And then God's wisdom says, hey, in 100 years, none of that's going to matter anyways. So what's, what's the problem? Just give it over to me. Just lay it down at my feet, whatever you have, and just see, just see what I can do with, with, the, with that. Just see what I can do with that for my glory and for my kingdom purpose. Just see. You know, it brings me back to the story, familiar story of Moses. <clears throat> In chapter 4, I want to look at chapter 4. Verses are going to be on the screen. 
when this passage comes up here, um, we kind of realize where Moses is at this point in his life. He's 80 years old. He's been in the wilderness uh, for 40 years now. He really has nothing to his name. Uh, he's working for his father-in-law as a shepherd, keeping his sheep. And, and so uh, because of 40 years ago, he, he got caught in the act of murder, lost everything. He really has no influence, no contacts, nothing. And he, he stumbles upon the, uh, the burning bush. And you all remember the burning bush? God tell, comes to him and says, hey, Moses, I have an assignment for you. Um, and what happens? All the excuses start to come. Well, I'm, I'm just not smart enough. I'm not good enough. I don't uh, I have a speech impediment. I, just, uh, I don't think I can do that. And then we get here to verse 2. The Lord says to him, well, what is that in your hand? He said, a staff. So, all, all the, he can't. He doesn't have anything to offer. Well, what is that? What, did you, what you got there? I got a staff. He says, throw it down. Throw it on the ground. Basically saying, just, just give it to me. And so he threw it on the ground. Saw the power of God right there. Turned into a serpent, and Moses ran from it, like I probably would too. <laughs> Pretty crazy, right there, a snake. Staff turns into a snake. It's going to surprise you. Uh, but he sees the power of God right there. And then the next verse says, "Go, Moses, go pick it up. And so he picks it up, and it turns back into a staff. And here's what God's saying. He's saying, give it to me. Whatever you've got, just give it to me. Then I'm going to let you pick it up, but, but now, whenever you pick it up, you're going to use it for a different purpose. Now, where before you were using it to, to prop up yourself, to use it for whatever you needed to use it for, now you're going to be able to use that staff and you're going to use it for my kingdom, for my purpose, and for my glory. And you know what he did with that staff? He went over to the Red Sea and he touched it and the waters parted. Every time he put a plague against the people, he held up that staff. And there was no power in the staff itself. It was Moses laying down whatever he had and saying, God, I'm just going to give this over to you. You do with it as you wish. And he says, okay, Moses, you pick that back up, and we're going to see what we can do with that. So what's that in your hand? He asked us that same question today. What, what do you have? What? Little, big, whatever it is, God, God says, just, just, just throw it down. <laughs> just, just release. Throw it down. And then at some point he's going to say, okay, you, you pick that back up, but now <laughs> this right here is going to be used for my purpose, for my glory, for my kingdom's sake. And you're going to see an incredible work of God. You see, Moses had nothing, nothing to his name. But God used him to do one of the most remarkable things in human history. He brought a whole nation of slaves out of bondage without firing one shot. And all he had was a little staff. <laughs> What's that in your hand? So I want to bring this home. As Ricky and them come up and as we kind of close the service, we see the power of the cross at work, the reality as seen through the power of the cross. To us who are being saved, it is the power of God. 
But to those who are perishing, let's just say today that the, the light of the truth of the gospel message has been clearly spoken to you. And, and the only thing I can come up with to tell you is that I was this week I was convicted that I needed to share the, the, the word of the cross with you. And, and the reason why is, I think, is that there's someone in here, it might just be one person, that they needed to hear that message too for you to understand that you're falling, that you're falling down to the ground and you're going to die. And Jesus Christ has given you a parachute. And he's saying, before you leave this room today, you pull that plug. You trust in Jesus Christ as, as your, as your, as your uh, sacrifice for your life, the payment for your sins. You trust in him. Pull that cord and just see what he can do in your life. But as I guarantee you, you're not going to fall to the earth and die. He's going to save you. He's going to lift you up on his wings. And you will be saved. John 5, 24 says, I tell you the truth, he who hears these words and believes him who sent me has eternal life and you will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life and that can happen for you today. And if you're a believer in here, what in the world is that in your hand? Why are you still holding on to it? Why? What's the purpose in it? He's saying, just, just lay it down. Man, just see what God can do with someone that is completely surrendered over to me. I now see my life through the power of the cross, the wisdom of the cross, instead of listening to all these other voices of the wisdom of the world. Because like those prisoners, all you're going to do is you're going to dig yourself right back where you started. Is that where you want to go? No, I don't think so. Listen to the wisdom of God, the very power of the cross. So that's what is laid out before you today. And he's telling you, hey, I'm demanding a response. The power of the cross, the, the, how he defines our reality, that was laid out for you. I'm demanding a response. What are you going to do with it? Let's pray. Dear Father, I thank you so much that we can come and, and know your truth. Dear Father, the truth of, of your words, your wisdom, your love, the, your, your grace that you pour out on each and every one of us. I pray that everyone in here would realize what it means to live in that, to walk in that. Making the best of our days, knowing that the, the day is evil. And we walk in your wisdom. Teach us how to do that, dear Father. And I pray if there's anyone in here, dear Father, if, if they've never pulled that cord, dear Father, if they've never accepted you, trusted in you as their Savior, that they would do that today. Be with us during this time. In Jesus' name I pray and amen.